morning, everyone. It's uh, definitely a little tough to follow that up, but I'll do what I can, try and bring some energy for you this morning. Um, I'm really excited to be here to share with you. It's so good to see all of your faces. I know that this isn't the first week back, but man, it feels good to see people. Um, and I'm really excited to bring this passage for you. When this summer series went out, there was a list of passages and a list of speakers, and I kind of just dropped it in my inbox at like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. And they're like, hey guys, uh, which passage do you want to preach? And I went like scrambling for this. I went to the Google Doc, I tried to get in there, there were some problems, so I was like emailing Lisa right away. I was like, I want this passage. I love this passage. And there's a couple reasons why I love this passage. Um, first, it's the author. And second, it's the context in which this letter was written. So the passage that we're in this morning is Second Peter uh, chapter 3. And uh, before we get there, I just want to paint a little picture of why I like Peter so much. Peter is just the most relatable character, maybe for me, in the entire Bible. Peter is just a boisterous, go-getter, passionate, doing things wrong all the time type of person. And I just, I just love him, and I love the situation that he finds himself in. He's just like the most ordinary dude. We all know a Peter, someone who's got passion and gusto, and they make really bad choices we don't always agree with. But that's Peter. Peter's the guy where when the disciples are all in a boat, the storm is raging around them, they see someone on the water. All the disciples are cowering in fear. They're like, what's going on here? And they see someone walking on the water. And they're all just shaking in their boots and they're all speechless. Not Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, is that you? If it is, I'm coming out there. And he hops out the boat and goes and walks on the water to Jesus. Who does that? Who does that? Peter does that. And he's the most normal, relatable guy stuck in the middle of the most incredible story. There's Jesus, literally God, become man, here to redeem us, here to save us. This is the most incredible hour of history, and there's Peter, and he's just a normal guy, and he, he walks on the water with Jesus. He witnesses Jesus raise a girl from the dead. He hears the audible voice of God, and he witnesses countless other miracles, but Peter's life isn't really all highlights. And that's kind of what I relate to about him. It's easy to look at like a David or a Daniel or maybe even look around this room and pick out a perfect Christian and think that maybe their life is perfect and has always been perfect. It's not good to think that way. Sometimes we do. We're not going to make that mistake with Peter because Peter's life is probably full of more lowlights and his, his time with Jesus is filled with more, Peter, you're doing the wrong thing. Peter, you're saying the wrong thing. Peter, what are you doing? Um, like even at the very end of his time on earth with Jesus there's Jesus in the garden he's about to be arrested he is in emotional physical spiritual anguish he needs his friends more than anything Peter's sleeping Jesus is arrested he's brought down for trial and Peter gets in a discussion with some people when he goes to figure out what's going on and he denies that he knows Jesus not once not twice but three times. Peter is just, frankly, a bit of a mess, even after spending a lot of time with Jesus. And then something happens. 
Peter meets the resurrected Jesus and everything changes for him. It's actually kind of interesting for me. Um, There is not legitimate question, but in my reading, there are some people out there who would like to make the case that 2 Peter isn't written by Peter because there's no way that the guy who we meet in the Gospels could possibly write this. The language is too articulate. He's too precise. He knows Greek too well. There's so many reasons why Peter could not have possibly wrote this book. But what they're missing when they make that claim, and it's not a legitimate claim, Peter wrote this book, is that the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Peter. When Peter is writing this book, it's at the very end of his life. He spent the last 30 years being transformed by God, being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does incredible things in the life of Peter. He witnesses himself being broken out of prison by an angel. He is used by God to do incredible miracles. And most of all, God really, really blesses his ministry. Peter is a founding father, a founding member, a pillar of the early church. And it all happened when he met Jesus. And that brings us to this passage right now. Peter is at the very end of his life and he knows it. He says early in the book that this is basically the end for him. Within a few months or weeks of writing this letter, both Peter and Paul, two pillars of the early church, will be dead, killed for their faith. And Peter's very much aware of this. He's writing it to a church that's in struggle. They're facing incredible persecution from the outside and they're facing false teaching and false theology from the inside. The church is under pressure and with the loss of their two leaders, it's about to get worse. We're going to meet Peter right there. This is his final letter. These are the last recorded words of this incredible life sent to people that he loves and not just the last book we're looking at the last chapter so what does Peter say when he writes to the people that he loves let's read from 2nd Peter chapter 3 starting at verse 3 first of all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But as they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and by the earth, and the earth was formed out of waters and by water, and by those waters, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. He is patient 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. I'm going to leave that there and just, I hope that you hear the urgency in what Peter's writing. I hope that you can hear exactly what he is hoping to share with us. Oh, I've got a technical challenge. Perfect. Thanks. wait for things to come back up there. I think the thing that I like the most about Peter's words here is the simpleness of his description. Peter's a pretty simple guy. As you get a little sneak peek into my slides there, thanks. I, I hope that some of you are thinking, um, Okay. Here we go. Here we go. We're there. Okay. Um, Peter's got a really simple vision for the future. He's not laying out a really complex prophecy like Daniel or uh, John. He's really got a very simple Thing that he's talking about here. And he, he paints this picture. He says that the day of the Lord is coming, that Jesus will return. And this is very good news. Amen? Yeah. He says that all things that are hidden will be known. That there's nothing in your life that's secret now from God, but there's nothing that will remain secret. That everything that happens on the earth will be laid bare. That there will be judgment and destruction but there's a destiny for God's people a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells this is good news for all of us yeah and that's all that he says I like that about Peter I think that some of you are maybe looking at this list and are being like hey is there a chart that's coming up here where is this going to fit in the order of things when's going to happen some of you are like please don't put a chart up on there <laughs> I'm in that camp I agree with you. There's no chart coming. Not today. It's not that those things are unimportant, but I think the thing that strikes me so much about this is the conciseness, the straight to the point, the in keeping with his personality. Um, and I think that this is really important. This is the passage. I've done a lot of work in small groups with young people, and every year there's one kid at least who's like, can we talk about the end times? I want to know what's going to happen. 
And every year I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Let's talk about it. And we opened the book to 2 Peter 3. It's like, wait, it's not Revelation. It's not Daniel. We're not going to Zephaniah. This is where I go because I love what Peter says here. He, he talks about the end and these things are going to happen and that's really important. But what he deals with is our response to what's going to happen. And he lays out three responses that people have. He said there's some who, desire, who deny God's existence or his return. Then there are those who will acknowledge it but they distort God's word for their own gain. And then there are those who live in light of his return. Now we're not going to spend too much time talking about the first two points because Peter basically writes this that will dismiss the first two. And he wants us to focus on the last and to be people who live in light of his return. But we'll just cover them quickly. He says, where they will say, and he's talking about scoffers, people who will deny God or deny that he's coming back again. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Does this sound in any way familiar to your time and place and experience. The world deliberately forgets that God is the creator. Because if there's a creator, that means that he's real. And verse three of this passage lays out their, their motivation. It says, they will come scoffing and following in their own evil desires. People don't want to acknowledge that God is the creator or that there may be judgment because everyone wants to go their own way. I don't know if you found that true of your heart. I found it true of mine. I, I want to go my own way, but I know what's best for me is to go God's way. But the world wants to go their own way, so they deliberately deny that God is creator. They deliberately forget that there was a flood, that there was destruction, that God did bring judgment on the earth for sin and wickedness. They deliberately forget this because they don't want it to be true. That doesn't mean that it isn't true. And Peter has a really meaningful and interesting response to this and it's, it's what Les shared a little bit earlier. Don't forget that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. God isn't bound by time. If you want to go into like a real deep wormhole, like waste the rest of your afternoon, go home and Google what is time. You will find like physics articles ranching from like the most basic to like, you know, the Einstein papers that people still can't agree on. Time is a construct of the physical world and God's not even physical. God is spiritual, he's supernatural. He's not bound by time in any way. And we can't understand that because we are. But God isn't sitting there waiting for the clock to strike 12 for something to happen because it's, God doesn't work that way. God is accomplishing a bigger picture, a bigger plan than we can understand. And just because he hasn't come back yet doesn't mean that he won't. Just because you haven't seen something from God that you were expecting doesn't mean it won't arrive. 
And just because something that was promised isn't here yet doesn't mean that it's never going to happen. The Lord is patient. And it says it in this passage, he says it again later on, that his patience means salvation. That God isn't slow because he's slow and he's lazy or bored or he's forgotten about us. God is patient because he wants us all to come to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. If he were to come at this moment, it would rob some of the opportunity. And at some point, that is no longer going to be the case, and he will come. But for now, for this moment, he's being patient, waiting for more to come to him. God isn't slow. He's patient. And we should be very thankful for his patience. The next one I want to raise is that there are those who distort God's word for their own gain. And I don't want to spend really any time on this because it's not worth talking about um, but if you hear someone teaching things that are contrary to the word of God, don't believe them. If you hear someone say, I know this specific detail about the end times, they've just taken themselves, elevated themselves above Jesus, who says, I'm waiting for God to tell me. You can just look at that, you can ignore that, and you can carry on. If someone is teaching you something that's contrary to scripture, Don't follow them because they do this to their own destruction. That's very clear in this part of scripture, in all of scripture. Don't follow false teaching. And how do you avoid following false teaching? A great way to do that is being part of a big body of believers like this. You may hear something and believe it and then come to your small group and share it and everyone's like, hold on, Come come back to the truth. That's what the church is there for, to keep us from going astray. We can very easily find ourselves on some crazy little path if we go all by ourselves. But if we go together, we will stay true to the word of God. Let's not go away. Let's stay true to what's in here. And that brings us to the big question. This is the thrust of the passage. This is the the focus of his letter. And this is an undertone throughout all of scripture since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And I think that in verse 11, which is where this comes from, it follows talking about the destruction. I don't think it just means the destruction. Later on, a a similar question is asked, um, focusing on heaven. I think really what you could read this as is, is since all of this is gonna happen, since Jesus is coming back, since there's an eternal destiny for you, since there's judgment, since all of these things are going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? And I, I want you to take that and just think about it for a moment. I want you to think in your own heart when I say that, what comes to mind for you? There's answers in this book and earlier in Peter as well, and we're going to look at those. But I want you to think just about your own heart for a moment. Since everything is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? What way should you change? What way can you grow closer to God today? And I'll just let us think about that for a moment. And perhaps so it doesn't get super awkward, I'll tell you a little story that's rather meaningless. Uh, but I want you to think about this. What comes to mind for me 
is uh, I have a little dog. His name is Duke. He's a little golden retriever. And me and Duke go walking around the neighborhood uh, two or three times a day. And we have the same path we follow every day. We see the same neighbors. We see the same little kids. We walk through the same park. He goes to the bathroom in the same spots. We've got a great little system going on, me and Duke. Um, And he's a wonderful dog. He's not the smartest dog ever. He's just so happy to do that every day. He doesn't want anything different. He just wants to follow his little path and see his people, and he's out there wagging his tail, and he couldn't be happier. I'm really inclined personally to fall into that in life, to just do my thing and see my people, and that's it. I can't imagine going to Jesus and being Jesus you know, I'm so glad to meet you. I just walked around the same block for my entire life. I met the same people. I didn't reach out. I didn't go hard. I didn't try to seek new people or new experiences or, or draw people into your name. I just was comfortable in my little block. I can't imagine that for myself. But that's my tendency. That's my inclination. What comes to mind for you What kind of people ought you to be? I need to be more bold. I need to reach out. I need to go further, go places that make me uncomfortable for the name of Jesus. What do you need to do? Because all of this is true. What do you need to do? What kind of people ought you to be? We get the answer in the next verse. It says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. And as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. I think we all agree with that statement that we ought to live holy and godly lives and that we should look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. Much more difficult done than it is to to read those words the passage goes on and says, but keeping in mind the promise that we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Again, it presents a a vision of a life well-lived, a life worthy of the gospel, And this is something that's found not just in Peter, but all throughout when talking about the end times. Uh, Just the idea that this concept should inspire us to action. Jesus talks about serving others. Uh, Paul talks about walking in the light. This, every time this topic comes up in scripture, action follows. That since we know that this is the case, what are we gonna do about it? But the thing that I was a little disappointed in, kind of contrary to Peter's general shtick, is that it's kind of light on details, isn't it? It's like, hey, be good, be holy, be godly, be blameless. But he doesn't really say a whole lot more than that. And I found that a little disappointing. Um, But then I looked back earlier in the letter, and he leads off the letter with how to do this. Before we jump back into that passage, I want to kind of give you my simplified take on it. And don't worry, there's no judgment following this question, but I need to ask this question 
How many of you gentlemen or ladies have like a PGA Tour quality lawn right now? What's going on? Who, raise your hand. Who's putting some effort into the lawn this season? Looks fantastic. It's green. Yeah, there's one. There's one honest man out there. I feel like there's some more people out there. What I've learned, I've inherited a less than stellar lawn, and I've try, been trying to figure out how to make things happen. Um, what I've been learning and what I've been hearing is that to get a good lawn, you have to grow good grass. And you think about that, and you're like, well, of course you do. That's kind of obvious and kind of basic. But I think what a, a lot of people do when they try to grow their lawn is they go around and they try to you know, pluck the weeds and find a dandelion and rip it out. And you know, find a little something that's going on there, spray it. You know, don't let any little critters live in there. You know, pesticide those things. And just on and on and on they go. And every year they do the same thing because they don't have good grass. If you want to have a beautiful, you know, striped, someone's going to break out a pitching wedge and start hitting balls off your front lawn kind of lawn, you need to grow good grass. And I think that this really applies to our life and our focus on Christ. All the time, I hear, I hear this on the radio all the time, I can't get away from this type of preaching that's like, you know, you need to be blameless, root out the things in your life, root out the things in your life, be conscient, be diligent, be aware, be this, be that. And those things are all true. You can't just allow a giant, like, three-foot dandelion grow in the middle of your grass if you want a nice lawn. You gotta go out there and rip that thing out. But if what you focus on, where you spend your time, effort, and energy is growing good grass, putting down seed, fertilizing your lawn, watering it, you'll find as the seasons and years go by that less weeds keep popping up because you have good grass in its place. This is what I'm hoping for anyways. My lawn's a bit of a bare patch at the moment, so this may all be false, but we'll see. But that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I've always seen in my life when I go with Christ. If you're trying to grow in patience, maybe don't decide that every Saturday from now until October, you're going to go wait in line at Service Ontario in Waterloo. <laughs> right? Don't just be like, hey, I need to grow my patience. I'm going to sit at the back of this three-hour line and see how it goes. What you should do is you should get in your Bible. You should go to your small group. You should pray. You should worship. You should get on your knees. You should seek the face of God. You should engage with other Christians. You should serve him. You should walk with God. And the next time you find yourself at the back of a three-hour line, you may find yourself more patient. This is my encouragement for us as we go forward. This is what he says earlier in the book of Peter. This is how he leads off this letter, this final letter to the people that he loves. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us and by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promise that in them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive. Grow in the goodness. Grow in God. Focus on God. And you will see these qualities grow in you. And you will, in turn, in season of your life, find that the things that you find as blemishes, the spots, the weeds, it's not that they're going to disappear. It's not that you read your Bible and all of a sudden you're perfect. But you will find in increasing increments that you become more like Jesus as you spend time with him. And I think that brings me back to Peter and the transformation that he saw in his life. Why did he share the end of time with this church that's going to struggle? They're already hurting desperately and they're about to lose him. Why did, why did he share that with them? I think the first reason is hope. You know, I, I put a list of things that are going to happen and I say, how's it feeling? And everyone says, amen. It's like the first time it's ever happened to me. I think we're excited about hope at these times at Wallenstein, right? We can look forward to a future with Jesus where there will be justice and righteousness and freedom from pain and restriction and, and all the things that are, that are hurting us right now. We're excited about that. And that hope was very important for the people he was writing this to. I think that's the first reason he wrote it. The second reason, I think, is out of concern. And I think that that's an important reason as well. He was concerned that the theology or the teaching of, well, don't worry about what your life looks like because I don't know if judgment's a real thing. I don't know if Jesus is coming back. That's not something that I would expect any of you to ever say. But it's really easy for that type of laziness to creep into our life, is it not? I'm not going to be urgent. I'm not going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to do this stuff because deep somewhere in me, I don't actually believe this is going to happen. That's really concerning. It's something to search our hearts about. And that may not be convicting for you. It is for me. That type of passivity is so easy to happen to us. And Peter's great concern is that it would happen to these people that he loved. But I think the final reason that Peter shared this is because of his great personal experience with this. When Peter met the resurrected Jesus, he went from this like actual dumpster fire to the leader of the church. Everything changed when he met Jesus. Have you met the resurrected Jesus? And if you have, is it making a Peter-sized impact in your life? The truth of Jesus, his resurrection, his return, is not something that we can just take and put into a compartment of our life. It's not something that we can section off and say, this is good for Sunday mornings and the occasional Wednesday evening Bible study. It should change everything. Peter is his, by his transformation, inspiring foolish people 
but people from 2,000 years later to look back and say, this can't be the guy who wrote this book because look at the change. This can't be the same man. And in a sense, they're absolutely right. The Peter who wrote this at the end of his life was not the same man. This was not the same man that Jesus met, but it is the same person. He's just been totally transformed by a life in the spirit, by serving God, by walking with him faithfully for 30 years to the point where it's hard to even recognize him. Is that gonna be true of you and me? If someone looks at your life 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 10 years from now, will they say, Adam, I can't possibly be the same guy. Like, when I knew him, he was nothing like, that. that's got a, he must have a doppelganger out there somewhere, some big, handsome, blonde fellow somewhere. Like, <laughs> If that's not the trajectory that you feel like you're on, that's a reason to search your heart, and that's why I love coming back to this passage, because every time I do, it kind of hits me. And I love that one of our goals for the fall as a church is revival. And for me, what always stokes the coals of revival in my heart is exactly this passage, this type of thinking of, wow, if this is really real, if, if I truly believe this, what does my life look like? And if I think about that and if I internalize that, I always find a lot of inspiration for change. I always find a lot of reason to, to push deeper, to, to seek more, to spend more time in prayer, to spend more time in the word, to, to serve God. Because I know that this is what I want. I want someone to look back at my life and say, wow, this guy has changed so much, not for my glory, but because I hope that that means I've become a lot more like Jesus. Will that be the case for us? Will we do that today? Or will we just kind of like close the book and be like, oh, you know, Second Peter, I, I didn't really know there was an end times passage in there. Learn something today. Let's carry on. There's real opportunity for us not to do that today. And that would be my encouragement is that we search our hearts, that as we look forward to his coming, as we are excited about the hope that's ahead for the future, that it inspires us to live for him now, today. Thanks for letting me share with you. I'm going to turn it back over to Les. Um, yeah, let's, let's live for Jesus and let's allow him to transform us the way that he transformed Peter. You can all have a seat. Thanks so much for coming this morning and tuning in online um, and just allowing your heart to be challenged today. I just want to pray for you as we go and as I pray for you I pray for me and I pray for all of us my hope is that we will use the passage that we read in Peter as a jumping off point as a, as a foundation for the revival that I know that our church leaders are praying for and I know is on the hearts of many 
God, thank you for everything that you've done for us. You have done so much with your coming, with your death, your resurrection, all of the the words that you've shared. But God, there is so much more for us. You are coming back again. You're coming to bring us to you forever. God, I pray that you would just allow that truth to sink deeply into our lives. God, that it would inspire action in our hearts, that our urgency to live for you would be inspired by knowing that you're coming very soon and that the day will come when no one will expect it and that we want to be found ready, found blameless, ready for you. And that, God, you would just do that work in our hearts. We desperately want it, but, God, the thing that only you can do is really drive that change. And so we're asking for that, God. We're asking for open hearts and minds to allow you to get into the areas that are uncomfortable, to get into the areas that we have held back from you, to get into our life so deeply that you change us so thoroughly that we're not even recognizable. God, we love you and we we thank you for what you are doing in us, what you have done in us, God, and and what you are going to do in us um, this summer and and this fall. Yeah, God, we're just so thankful for everything that, that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're all dismissed. Thank you.